I'll stay on the porch Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Where you get that from? Grab a mic, spit one Let me hit that blind Pimp C, 8 ball and MJG Keep spitting that B to the IMP Bun B, that's Texas, baby Ballin' G, that's Memphis, baby Short dog, that's and we are live, episode 122 of Business at Buckets, coming at you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. And we have a lot of MMA action to talk about. But before we talk MMA, we're going to talk the one and only sponsor here at Business at Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So whether you guys are trying to run at 4040, lift 400 pounds, or enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to FueledSupplements.com. Use my promotion code for 15% off all products. Promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And I mentioned this, but we have a lot of fun stuff coming with Fueled Supplements, the rebrand of of my two different podcasts coming up, MMA and Business. We will have the Business and Buckets Podcast Network with two separate um, podcasts I should be announcing next week. I have my family here right now, some of my cousins from Seattle. We, we've done some spring training, celebrated a birthday. They leave this weekend. I have another batch of cousins coming, and then I will be done hosting. been hosting here in Phoenix, the new spot, for about two weeks now. It's been a fun experience. You know, Again, ton of spring training games. Just have enjoyed the sun, went out, got some good food, some good eats. Ready to be back in normal life, though. Get my routine pumping. It's hard to, uh, you know, do work, have family, take off days, do the podcast, try to stay in shape, get the whole deal done. But enough of my life. Let's talk MMA as we had one hell of a UFC 285 card that we're going to recap. Obviously, some big headlines from that. And we have a nice deep fight night card happening this weekend. So don't sleep on the card this weekend because you will regret it. There is some great matchups in store. So some new fights announced. We have Devin Clark versus Kennedy and Shekwu. I think this is a great matchup in the light heavyweight division. Both guys in similar positions. A win here would put them in a great position. And it's a pay-per-view. It's going to be the UFC 288 card that is now getting built out. We have Charles Johnson right back at it. He does not play games. Energy's ready to get back in the octagon after a tough loss. He's taking on Cody Durden April 19th. So in a couple months, or dang near, you know, a month and a half. See, you know, he's getting a little bit of time off right back into a fight camp. He's in his prime and he's taking action. We have Jessica Andrade doing much of the same thing. Suffering a tough loss to Aaron Blanchfield. She's taking on Shinyon Yan at UFC 288. It seems to be like she's going to be back in the strawweight division. We have Myra Bueno Silva versus Misha Tate, June 3rd, the first uh, summer uh, bout. Misha Tate going back to bantamweight. I'm assuming she's going to finish her career here against Myra, who's been on, on quite the tear. We have Nate Maness and Zagas Zumagalov, UFC 288. Kron Gracie's return against Charles Air Jordan on UFC 288. Uh, so those are some great matchups. That card is starting to get built out. Uh, and kind of weird news, Darren Till rele- requests his release from the UFC. 
obviously he's suffered some tough goes. Uh, seems like he's going to try to fight elsewhere, probably get some money, potentially come back to the UFC one day. I know Dana White's open to it, but we will see what happens there. We have the Ultimate Fighter coming up soon, and there is lots of drama. You insert Conor McGregor to anything, you're going to get drama, you're going to get ratings, and you're going to get the people chirping. Well, supposedly uh, a fighter got knocked out in the cage, McGregor jumped in, Chandler jumped in, someone slapped somebody, the teams rushed the cage, uh, uh, the NSAC team had to break them up. I can't wait for the season of Ultimate Fighter. You know Conor's going to bring it. Again, I was making fun of him looking coked up at his return shadow boxing at the Apex. You know he's all juiced up. He's not on the USADA pool yet. He is going to bring it. Roadhouse filming crazy. Conor McGregor might be a good one. One of the best seasons I can already see it. Uh, we were actually going to break down this fight. I had this. I had my notes prepared, but we have Abu Abu Bakr, Abu Abu Bakr Nurmagomedov out against Carlson Harris. Insert Jared Gordon so Carl, Carlson Harris can stay on the card. Uh, I'm not too sure what had happened. That happened this morning, so I don't have the full notes. And then BKFC getting some big names pulling from the ex UFC. Well, you have Luke Rockhold, Mike Perry. Going to be a scrap. Bare knuckles. And then the very stout Chad Mendez taking on Eddie Alvarez April 29th. You know, sometimes I want to watch a BKFC uh, fight. Sometimes they give me a little bit of interest. But I will be tuning in. Shit, I might even buy this one. So, so watch out. BKFC April 29th. This weekend we have a Bellator card in San Jose, California. Bellator 292 Friday evening. The big fights, we have Usman Nurmagomedov versus Benson Henderson and Tofik Masayev versus Alexander Shubley in the lightweight Grand Prix. You know, Usman is the champion. I expect Usman to get the job done, but Benson will test him. And I like Tofik Masayev. I think that'll be a little bit easier of a fight. And then we also have Michael Page returning from his BKFC fight against uh, Mike Perry taking on Goiti Yamauchi. So we get some Bellator action. Not the best Bellator card, but those, those few fights are big headliners. Excited to see Usman square up against Benson Henderson. There would have been a lot of Nurmagomedovs if uh, Abubakar didn't, didn't pull out of his fight uh, going on this weekend with Saeed also fighting. But let's talk UFC 285. No parlays hit for me, sadly. But I did go 10-3 and three in my pick, so I'm not mad about that whatsoever. Um, some fights we did not break down. There was nice wins by Farid Basharat, who won by unanimous decision. Him and his brother, Javid, have taken the, the sport by storm. And I had a, a good win by Cameron Simon, who had a majority decision um, early on in the early prelims, because this card was stacked. So let's start in the early prelims where we had Tabitha Baby Shark Ricci get a second round submission via armbar over Jessica Penne. And uh, this fight took me by shock. I thought Tabitha was going to use her movement like Emily Ducate did, chop her legs, move around, outstrike Jessica. She didn't want it. She said, I am the better grappler and instantly went for the takedown, got the takedown again in round two and had a slick, slick armbar. Um, reminds me of my no-gi days after wrestling. She was on one side, came over, body 
quick arm bar, locked it in deep. Jessica had no, you know, no answer to that. Once you're locked in that deep, you got to tap or else it's going to hurt. And uh, for me, you know, biggest fight to this day for Tabitha. So, so great moment for her. But for Jessica, it's like, where do you go from here? You're losing to the up and comers. You know, are you in this for money? Do you care what's going on? It, it might be time uh, to call it a career in the UFC. And I'm interested to see, you know, she hasn't said anything about retirement. But at 40 years old, you can only wonder, especially with a lot of good young talent coming in into, into this division, like Baby Shark Ricci. When we look at the stats, Tabitha landed 81 total strikes, 36 of them significant. She did have four takedowns and five attempts. So, you know, pretty much got a takedown at will and then had the submission attempt. Jessica only landed 19 total strikes, six of those significant, and was 0 for 1 in her own attempts. I mean, when I say Tabitha came for the, for the grappling, she was going takedown after takedown and was making it look easy. So Jessica did not have a lot of opportunity to land her own strikes. Now, Tabitha extends her winning streak to three. She is three and one in the UFC. She does enter the top 15 rankings. Welcome, Baby Shark, at number 15. And she said the Baby Shark era is here. Jessica extends her losing streak to two. She is two and two since she returned from her USADA suspension, where she, she was a, a few years out of the sport. So what's next for these women? I would love to see Tabitha take on Luana Pinheiro. I think that would be a great matchup. And, you know, she's definitely on the right trajectory, uh, you know, showing that she could do a little bit of everything because Jessica does have a good grappling game and is a, you know, very experienced veteran. So big show, big time performance by Baby Shark. And if Jessica does indeed fight in the UFC again, I'd say Sam Hughes, that would make a ton of sense. But great performance. The Baby Shark era is officially begun. Speaking of eras, let's talk about the future Ian Machado Gary with a third round TKO over Song Kanan. And uh, really, this fight was just a, a big pendulum swing of emotions. Ian was trying to really be patient, find his spots. He was, you know, not really overly aggressive in the first round, but he did get a little tricky, throwing a little bit too long of punches. And Song hit him with this beautiful left hook. And holy shit, it sat Ian down. And the crowd went nuts. But the problem for Song is, is he tried to get on top of Ian. You know, you could get a little overzealous, especially a guy like Song who needs some wins. And, and he tried to get up there, stay on him, hold him down, get some grounded pound. And it allowed Ian to recover. Where sometimes, if they're scrambling, let him back up and try to get another big shot. You could knock, knock the, uh, shut the lights off. That wasn't the case, and Ian started finding his moments. The second round, he was really building his confidence. He yelled a woo during the fight. You know, he's feeling himself uh, almost like we'll talk about Cody, you know, dancing and shuffling. Wasn't quite that dramatic, uh, but he was landing nice combinations, nice head kicks, and in the third round was able to get the finish, and this was kind of the TKO where Song was just, was just you know, cuddling up in the feel, fetal position on the canvas, he was over it. He had taken a lot of damage. They showed an image of Song's face after the fight. It was brutal. But we saw a lot from Ian in this fight. We, we continue to see, you know, how he uses a mix of body and head combinations, the kicks. He is going to be a problem. Statistically, Ian landed 127 total and significant strikes. 
and the knockdown compared to song 61 total, 55 of those significant. So quite a bit difference in volume there. And uh, he did have two takedowns and three attempts with the knockdown. Um, and, and really it was in the second round when Ian was winning, he wasn't throwing anything. He was just taking it. You got to throw. His corner was urging him to throw. And in the third round, it was a wrap. So now Ian stays undefeated. He extends his winning streak to 11, four of them in the UFC. Song extends his losing streak to two. He has not won since February of 2020. So where does the future go from here? I say, give me Ian and Phil Rowe. That'd be a good step up in competition, a, a tough, uh, tough competitor. He did call for a fight in the coming weeks. We'll see if that happens. I'm all for it. Um, and Song, I would love to see him take on Gabriel, Gabriel Gr Green, who Ian had fought recently as well. Great showing by the future. And that's in the early prelims, which is wild to think. In the prelims, we had Mark andre Baralt with a second-round TKO over Julian Marquez. This is one of the fights I got wrong. I was willing to risk it with Julian. And, you know, what you see in Julian in the first round, I was expecting a little bit more of. I didn't think he would gas so easily. He was landing good power shots. He, he bloodied the nose of Mark. He was the guy pushing the pace and being the aggressor. But they nicknamed Baralt the power bar for a reason. Because we're playing Street Fighter. Julian's power bar went all the way from full to empty. Mark barely used a little bit, took some damage, and had plenty left in the tank. And poured it on Julian to get the TKO finish in round two. I just don't understand how he was able to gas out so early. We've seen this a little bit from him in previous fights. Uh, he puts a lot of you know volume and energy and power shots out there. And if he doesn't get the finish, this can happen. Um... I know that he did have a fight booked. It didn't happen at the last minute. He's technically put in two fighting camps. But you have to show up better than that if you want to have better results. And I expected more from Julian personally. Um, statistically, Julian did land 83 total strikes, 82 of those significant. And a lot of that was in the first round. Uh, and he was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. While Mark landed 127 total and 109 significant strikes, Majority of that in the second round. Julian was just looking to stay up against the cage and recover, try to get you know his breath back. Mark just kept pouring it on him, and finally the judge had to, had, had to end the fight because Julian wasn't going anywhere. He'll keep fighting if he has to. So Mark starts a new winning streak. He moves to 2-2 two and two since 2022. Julian extends his losing streak to 2 and has not won since April of 2021. Tough times for Marquez, the Cuban Missile Crisis, but the power bar continues. You know, he's getting a little bit older, but he's still a problem. And, and he could go deep into the rounds and push you to the deepest of waters and see if you could still survive. So what's next? Well, I think Mark versus Jacob Malkoon would be a great matchup. Jacob's been up and down like Mark has, but has shown the ability to be a great fighter. Uh, really got that grappling going for him. And for Julian, I think Punahili Soriano, that'd be a great matchup. Two guys, big time power. Grab your popcorn and matchmakers. Make it happen. You know what I'm saying? It's for the people. Give them what they want. Now, we had the women get down to business. We had Amanda Ribas with the unanimous decision over Vivian Adarujo. Um, I definitely murdered that on the last podcast, trying to remember how to say her name. You look at it, it's tough. Adarujo. 
And uh, Rebus looked good, man. Vivian never seemed to get comfortable in the fight. She had, a, you know, had her moments. She landed some good strikes, had some submission attempts. But Amanda was controlling the octagon, controlling the center, pushing the pace, landing combinations, and looked like she clearly had the better cardio tank. Uh, it wasn't as drastic as the previous fight with Mark and Julian, but uh, uh, Vivian just never clearly, you know, was the aggressor. Team seemed to tire her out after some of the grappling, and to see Amanda take the grappling to Vivian like that is really impressive. Especially Vivian, the level of competition she's fought and how she's performed. I think Amanda Ribas is back on the radar, and you better watch out. Statistically, Amanda landed 205 total, and 98 of those were significant. She did have two takedowns as well. And Vivian landed 86 total strikes, 46 of those significant, with two submission attempts. So, you know, Amanda more than doubled her significant and total strikes. Now, Amanda starts a new winning streak. She is 1-1 one one since late 2021. She hasn't been super active, had a couple fights called off. She does re-enter the top 15 at number 9. And Vivian extends her losing streak to 2. She is 1-2 since mid-2021, so she hasn't been super active either. She does move down two spots in the rankings to number 10. So where do they go from here? I would love to see Amanda take on Lauren Murphy, a person who's fought for the title recently, has fought the best of the best. This would give her an opportunity to really leapfrog into the top of the rankings. And for Vivian, how about Macy Barber, another prospect, an opportunity for Macy to get where she wants to be and for Vivian to return where she should be. That would be a great matchup. Either way, excited to see both of these women back in the octagon. It was a great fight. Really impressed by Amanda's output. I thought her striking and speed looked fantastic. And then another fight that I did not pick correctly. I took a chance with the dog. We had Drikus Duplessis with a second-round TKO over Derek Brunson. And this fight did not go the way I thought it would. Round one, Derek looked pretty solid, was able to grapple, was able to land some big strikes, was a little reckless like we're, we're used to seeing. But I have no idea what happened to Derek in round two. Drikus uh, definitely has shown... Uh, you know, not the best of gas tanks. He's usually tired out after a lot of flurry in the first round. He somehow finds a way to continue to throw strikes, sometimes catches his opponents. And we see Derek grapple and go and throw for multiple rounds. So I don't know if the chaos that Drikus brought uh, also brought some chaos from Derek. Um, and, and he kind of, you know, gassed himself out. I, I'm not sure if he was injured, right? The, the, the corner actually ended up throwing in the white towel after the second round. Uh, before the third round started. And I, I think that's a good thing. You know, Derek will go out on a shield. I don't know how he feels about it. But this was just a weird thing because we've never seen Derek gas like that, especially that early in a fight. So I'm not sure if it was that, if he was injured, his leg was fucked up, he couldn't throw. You know, he tried to give him some last home run strikes. But it was a really weird fight, and I did not see it playing out that way. But Dracuz continues to, you know, find himself in adversity and continues to move forward, so you have to give him props. I did pick him in his last fight, saw that fight in person. I, I do think highly of the guy, but when you think of this division in the top five to you know seven fighters, they are so textbook, they're so crisp with their striking, they can go for five rounds, they fought high-level competition, and I just feel like that's missing from Plessy, uh, but this is still a good win, although Brunson's older. Very brutal fight for Brunson. You hate to see it. Um, I don't know if there's retirement talk rumors. I've seen some things surface. 
Um, you know, we'll see what happens here. But uh, was it the blonde Brunson that I'm accustomed to seeing? And when we look at the strikes, Derek landed 43 total, 37 of them significant. He did have a takedown in two attempts and a submission attempt in reversal. There was some chaos on the mat. Um, and Drikas landed 84 total strikes, um, 71 of those significant with a takedown of his, of his own in two attempts. And then he had a submission attempt in the knockdown. So Dracus extends his winning streak to seven. Five of them have been in the UFC. I, I, you know, no matter how you cut it, five wins in the UFC, uh, that's tough. And Derek extends his losing streak to two, and he moves down three spots in the rankings to number eight. So where do these gents go from here? Well, I think a little bit of Andre Muniz, who just lost, and Derek Brunson would be a fun matchup if Derek does fight again. And for Dracus, give him Nasserdine Amavov. I think that'd be a great matchup. Would really be interested to see how those guys uh, match up in the striking department. And it would be box office. So let's make it happen. And then finishing out the prelims, we had Cody No Love Garbrandt with a unanimous decision over Trevin Jones. And Cody looked and had flashes of the Cody Garbrandt we thought you, you know, we came accustomed to before his chin went away and, and the skid happened. He, his hands are just so fast. His combinations, he was throwing crazy body kicks that just looked excruciating uh, against Trevin. And Trevin didn't have an answer for him. He was kind of stone-footed in the first round. And, and you'd see Cody, you know, shuffling, dancing, and, and kind of acting a fool. And that was interesting to see because, you know, he, he he's an ex-champion. He's been there. He's done that. He's beaten everyone. And it was funny to see him, you know, try to pull Trevin to him is really what I thought it was. Uh, but he was given the old boxing Muhammad Ali shuffle. Uh, and in the third round, it's just like he just called it a fight. Like, well, I won the first two rounds. I've been getting knocked out. I can't get knocked out. Let's let, let's move on. So I wasn't too sure how I felt about that. Uh, but when we look at the stats, Cody landed 33 total strikes, 26 of them significant. He had two takedowns and three attempts. And Trevin landed 30 total 20 significant, and he did have a takedown in two attempts and a submission attempt. So, you know, looking at the statistics, not a lot of volume to just feel confident in winning the fight. So I was a little nervous picking him when he just kind of really did nothing in the third round. Um, and Trevin did have his moments, uh, did have a, uh, a couple of big shots that you thought like maybe he could finish him in the third round, but it was way too late. He waited till the third round. He should have been more active, although Cody was looking quick and striking him. I just thought that it could have been better. Now, Cody has his two-fight losing streak come to an end. He does start a new winning streak. And Trevin extends his losing streak to four and has not won since March of 2021. So for me, if Trevin, you know, you have a four-fight losing streak, not a, a lot of quality wins, if he does still fight in the UFC, which I think it's going to be tough, especially in a very deep bantamweight class, I think a matchup with Dana, that girl, would make sense. And for Cody, I mean, you want to put in some box office ratings, maybe a rematch with Dominic Cruz, you know, uh, kind of a low-risk uh, fight for Dominic. You know he's picky, one of the best bantamweights of all time, and who he wants to fight. He could get that win back, and for Cody, it's an opportunity to get right back in the rankings. And uh, if not, maybe the actual matchup with Ronnie Yaha that was supposed to happen never did. Uh, that could finally happen. But either way, Cody seems to be back. Great performance by him. 
And then we jump into the main card. We had Bo Nickel with a first-round submission via arm triangle choke over Jamie Pickett. And I'm pretty familiar with the arm triangle choke, and ever since I've seen Gilbert Burns put a master class on, it was interesting to see Bo try to get it because you could see him messing with his hands, messing with his angle. It took him a while. You know, he's able to get Jamie down. It seemed like there might have been a groin kick or, or dang close. Jamie reacted to it. Right once Jamie reacted to it, the wrestler came out of Bo, took him down, got on top and tried to get this arm triangle. But it took a lot longer than I expected. Um, I think that's something he's probably working on uh, more. But he takes no damage. He gets the win, early first round win. And Bo Nickel is about to explode onto the scene. You know, us, us deep-rooted UFC fans, you'd say he's already arrived. But he's really going to be uh, in everyone's uh, mind and, 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 and in the press quite often. It only took him three significant or three total and one significant strikes. He did have a takedown in, in four attempts and two submission attempts. And Jamie only had one total and significant strike. So another slight work against a tough, you know, veteran, uh, long, powerful Jamie Pickett. So uh, I'm pretty impressed. I thought we'd see a lot more from Pickett in this fight. And, you know, the, the groin strike thing, definitely not ideal. But I don't think uh, you could really say anything about how that went out and played out. So Bo does stay undefeated. Four fight winning streak. Three of them in the UFC with the two contender series fights. And Jamie extends his losing streak to three. I think for Jamie, Dustin Stoltzfist would be the great matchup to make next. And for Bo, how about Roman Kopolov? A guy that's really come into his own. A striker. Um, a guy that can grapple a little bit. You know, he's right up there probably around the 20th, 23rd in the rankings. This would be a great matchup. I don't think we fuck around and watch Bo win like this anymore. Give him a little bit better competition. See what he can do. Your boy will be tuning in. And you should too. You know what I'm saying? And then we had Mateusz Gamrot with a split decision over Jalen Turner. And uh, this is what you would think it is. It's, it's Mateusz, you know, coming in, grappling, getting takedowns trying to chop Jalen the tarantula's legs, those big lengthy legs. Jalen is a beast of length in there, and he's chopping at those legs, trying to avoid the power shots from Jalen. And Jalen, being so long, was able to hit Mateusz on it when he's trying to close the distance. He was able to find his strikes, rocked Mateusz a couple times. Gamrot got him a couple times as well, but it was mostly Turner using a lot of energy to get off the canvas with Mateusz getting him down which he did over the course of three rounds, which is very impressive. You can see he's been focusing on that. Um, some people say this was somewhat controversial. I don't think so. The only thing controversial for me, and a lot of the announcers would agree with me, was that Judge Mark Smith separated the fighters when Mateusz had control against the cage in the third round. I thought that, especially in the third round, like, what are we doing here? I thought that was a terrible decision because Jalen could have easily got out and clocked Gamrot, and that could have been the fight. Uh, but Gamrot, he, he shows he's a five-round fighter. He kept coming relentlessly. He looked solid. The Jalen Turner just brings different things to the table, especially with a seven-inch reach advantage and a leg reach advantage that he possesses. Um, but I thought Mateus showed out and showed out pretty well for for the you know for where he was with this fight. Um, Mateus landed 89 total strikes, 29 of them significant. He did have four takedowns and 12 attempts. So, you know, still pretty good percentage there. 
And Jamie landed 62 total strikes, 40 of those significant. He did have a knockdown and was 0 for 1 in his own takedown attempts. So quite a bit less on volume, more significant strikes. Did have a, a knockdown, although it wasn't anything super dramatic. I thought, I thought the split decision was um, a, a good call. So Gamrot starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 since 2022. Jalen has a five-fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak. And Gamrot stays at 7. Turner stays at 12, where they were coming into the fight. For Gamrot, I think he's definitely probably going to need to let some of the lightweight division shake out a bit. But maybe the loser of Gaethje and Fazeev. And if he's you know really just itching to get back in there, a rematch with Armin Sukarian. Uh, that fight was very, very close, and I, I think that would make a ton of sense as Armin has really proven himself as well. And for Turner, how about Dan Hooker? Right, Dan Hooker's going to be out for a little bit, go back, train up. That would be a great matchup of two of the lower-rated light, lightweight, lightweight fighters, and that would be must-see TV, the striking that those two would put on together. I, I, that would be a lot of fun. And then moving on, we had Shavkat Rachmanov with a third-round submission via rear naked choke over Jeff Neal. This was fight of the night, no doubt about it. And for Jeff Will, Jeff Neal missing weight, coming in a little heavy, I just did not think after the first round barrage we saw that he was going to be able to continue that for three rounds. You know, he was able to find spots to chill out, you know, get his energy back up, let Shavkat run a couple combos, and then fire back himself. But each round, it was a lot of the same. Shavkat controlling the volume of strikes, probably a little bit more damaging strikes. But Jeff Neal finding ones that would sh that would rock Shavkat a little bit. You're like, oh man, this could be you know this could be bad. And uh, it, it stayed on the feet the whole time. Which to me, Jeff Neal's a savage on his feet. To see that Shavkat can hang with him uh, and the amount of fighters that he's beaten lately, this guy is the real deal. And uh, Jeff is the heart of a warrior, and, and, and I don't think his stock goes down with this fight whatsoever. Although he did get the finish towards the end of the third round, and he, and he did end up tapping, the, the durability, the volume, the, the precision, the power that Jeff Neal displayed was at an all-time high. I mean, Shavkat Rachmanov is one of the purest fighters in the division, if you ask me. And he was able to avoid the takedowns. He's, you know, he's clearly... Worked on his takedown defense, and I don't think Shavkat really went for it that much as he may have in like the Wonder Boy fight, but still, you know, a little arrow in the cap to say that uh, you were able to avoid the Rachmanov takedowns. Statistically, Jeff landed 69 total and 69 significant compared to Shavkat's 120 total and 113 significant. So again, Shavkat clearly controlling the volume, but Jeff, every time he landed, it landed nice. And then Shavkat had that submission attempt and was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts. Again, tip of the tip of the cap to Jeff Neal there. Now Shavkat remains undefeated. He extends his winning streak to 17. Five of them in the UFC. Moves up three spots in the rankings to number six. And Jeff has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. Starts a new winning streak and moves down one spot to number eight. Now... All I could think about is Shok, uh, Shavkat Rachmanov versus Kamzat Chemaev. But supposedly Chemaev's officially going up. But that would be fucking box office. I hope that that can happen. 
And I think Jeff is going to need to let the division shake out as well as he's fought most of the division. He's been an active fighter. So I think he's going to need to let some things shake out, and I'm sure he'll be back in the top 15. But it's going to be hard for both these guys to take uh, get a fight, in my opinion. Nobody's going to want to fuck with them, especially after what was on display in Las Vegas, T-Mobile, and a, a, a record crowd. Then we had the two goats, the goat and the goat. The, you know, the Amanda Nunez and Valentina are both the goats in my book. But we had Alexa Grasso shock the world, and I am so glad I didn't put any money on this, which wouldn't really make sense with the odds. Anyways, fourth round submission via face crank over Valentina Shevchenko. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. Viva la Mexico! And um, coming into this fight, you, you would think that Alexa Grasso could hang on her feet. Do you think that she could control the fight, you know, push the pace, just completely overpower Valentina? Nobody can do that. But you would think her boxing alone would, would pay dividends. It's can she avoid the grappling? Can she avoid, you know, tiring herself out? Can she pick her spots? And, and can she win rounds? Because something that Valentina and John Jones do well is know how to win rounds. And how will she fare in the championship rounds? We didn't get to see a lot in the championship rounds, but we saw that Alexa could hang with her on her feet. She, can, she could take some damage. She could not only uh, avoid takedowns, but get taken down by Valentina and get back up fairly quickly. And that she has the... the I, I just thought she was in the flow state. She was calm, cool, collected. She never looked like she was exerting wasted energy. She was never overreacting into anything, even in the media all week. I almost took it as she might have been a little nervous and scared, which I'm sure some of that was there. But the heart of a true Mexican warrior, Alexa Grasso, shocking the world and, and taking it to Valentina on something that she's trained. They talked about it after the fight, and they've showed video footage of Valentina throwing that spinning backhand and spinning kicks. You know, your back's a little bit susceptible, especially in the fourth round. Your spinning kick and your spinning uh, back fist isn't going to be as quick as it normally is. And right away, Alexa, like fucking Spider-Man, right as she turns, grabs her back, gets up, gets in a position, gets her down to the mat, doesn't really truly get a rear naked, more so of a face crank. Valentina taps. And I think it's going to be an automatic rematch, very much like uh, Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunez. But God damn, can you enjoy the moment? You know, for me, Valentina's not my favorite fighter, but she, she's someone that I just respect so much. You hate to see her lose. But you got to love a story like this. Same with Pena. I hated to see Nunez lose, but you got to love it. And you got to love that the work that Alexa put in, the confidence the team put in her, and, and for it to finish in something that she had prepared for is just textbook. And it's, it's fucking amazing. With that being said, I thought Alexa won round one because she landed some big shots at Valentina late in the round. I would say she delivered more damage. And then Valentina won rounds two and three, Probably was on on her way to winning winning the fight. When it comes to the rematch, if I had to pick right now, I'm taking Valentina. I'm sure I'll pick Valentina, just like I picked uh, Nunez in the rematch. This is going to light more of a fire under her, which in Valentina's case, I don't think she's ever taken time off. She's traveling the world. She's training with other gyms. She was in Tokyo. She was doing everything. I think it's just going to make her want it more and put even more work into her craft. And that's a scary thing for the flyweight division. That's a scary thing. But it does ruin the luster of Nunez and Valentina running it back. 
And I think it puts it at risk of that ever happening. Uh, she's got to focus on Alexa, and Alexa possesses a true problem because she's just entering the best version of herself as well. So I can't wait. Amazing fucking fight. Amazing performance. And I just loved watching it. I rewatched it today. And, and you just love seeing someone's hard work pay off like that. And, and Alexa doesn't have a ton of pull from her. She's not the most marketable girl. She's kind of quiet. But she fucking... Uh, has the heart of a warrior. Viva la Mexico. You love to see it. Bravo, Alexa Grasso. Now, statistically, Valentina landed 167 total strikes, 87 of those significant. She did have four takedowns in six attempts, so, you know, was pretty successful at it. Uh, and you could tell every time she went for a takedown, um, Alexa was kind of getting heavy on that front foot for her big, uh, big right hand. Valentina blasted in double legs, easy takedowns. Um, Alexa landed 182 total, so more strikes, 59 of them significant, so not as many significant. She had the submission attempt and was 0 for 2 in her own takedown attempts. Now, Alexa extends her winning streak to 5. She has not lost since September of 2019, and Valentina has her 9-fight winning streak come to an end. She starts a new losing streak and moves to the number 1 contender spot. I don't think we need to spend much time on what's next, Automatic rematch, give it to me. International fight week. Again, my birthday, John Jones, Stipe Miocic. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I, I'm, I almost am certain those will happen. You know, unless injury or negotiation issues, God bless. Then we have this man, the man of the hour, the GOAT, the double uh, uh, division champion, the heavyweight champion of the world. John Bounds Jones with a first-round submission via guillotine. Never saw it coming like that over Cyril Gaon. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And as glorious as this was, you know, the walkout, the drama with the toe tape. I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? You know, he has some weird shit going on with his, his toe, some fungus, some athlete's foot. I don't even know. He wanted to tape. They cut the tape. They left a little bit. He said if they wouldn't have left a little bit, he wouldn't have done it. So there's some drama. I was like, don't you dare call this fight off. So the fight happens. I'm super excited. I just want to see John throw some stuff, you know? Let loose. Let's see those elbows. Let's see some of those high kicks. Let's see him box with Cyril and move around a little bit. Nah. He said, I'm going to make this look easy. He's talking about wrestling. These are my guys. It's what I'm doing in camp. I know he ain't doing that. And that's exactly what he did. He just overpowered Cyril, put him up against the cage. And, and much like the Alexa fight, there was footage of him and Henry Cejudo practicing of Henry having a guy up against the cage saying, hey, you might be here. This is what you're going to do. You fall to a single. If you cross his body, it's not a, not, not a bad thing. You can still follow him. Having his legs up against the cage is still a good position. And that's literally exactly what happened. I think Henry Cejudo and team has some of the best team is one of the best teams in all of UFC. I think we will see Henry beat Aljamain Sterling because of this. And, and, and Henry Cejudo, although he is triple C is a tiny little guy with a lot of disadvantages in these fights. Right. But their, their preparation is bar none, the best in the world. That's why John Jones had partaken. And, uh, we didn't get to see a lot. 30 seconds of John Jones. I'm happy he won. I'm happy he took no damage. I'm happy he's going to fight Stipe Miocic next on International Fight Week for my birthday. The second live fight I will see of John Jones. But I wanted more, right? It was a tease. I'm sure we all wanted more. But it is what it is. And John Bones Jones is back. 
better than ever, and he's the goddamn GOAT. Don't tell me otherwise. And no, Francis Ngannou would stand no chance. I'm telling you right now, unless he was able to clip him in two, 10 seconds, which is always possible, John Jones would embarrass Francis Ngannou. Enough said. Now stats, lots to break down here. <laughs> John landed three total strikes, one of those significant. He had the one takedown in four attempts and two submission attempts as well. And Cyril landed one total insignificant strike. Talk about making it look easy. Sheesh. Now John stays undefeated. 27 fight winning streak. Don't care about the no contest. Don't care about the DQ. Cyril landed or Cyril starts a new losing streak. He is one and two since 2022. He stays at number one. The two losses in Ganu and Jones. Can't give too much slap on the wrist, but he is definitely desperate for a win. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. I, uh, I think John Stipe's done. That's the one John wants, which means that's the one the UFC will make. Stipe, debatably one of the best heavyweights for John to have that on his resume. He will ride into the sunset. He will not fight again. And for Cyril Gaon, there's a, a lot of fights booked at the top of the division, especially with Curtis Blades being a G and said, give me that motherfucker. If you're saying he's the guy up for the title, give him to me. I'll take him. Still can't believe he did that. Fucking ruthless. Why not uh, Tom Aspinall? Tom Aspinall on his return. Cyril gone. Tom Aspinall. Golly. Sign me up. But John's Bones Jones showed the world why he's the GOAT. And uh, in the post-fight interview, you could tell he, he's had a little bit of nerves. It's been some time. He's gone through a lot in his life. The trials, the tribulations, the mishaps, the the, the press just, you know, th throwing his name in the water, the, the DC beef. And uh, I think he is a new man from what he seems pretty good at reading people. You know, he's taken his best foot forward. He's put a lot of time and energy in here. He was shaking a little bit. You could tell by his hand gestures in the octagon. I couldn't believe the first thing he says is, Las Vegas, can I get a hiya? Uh, did not expect that to happen by the GOAT, but he, he's himself. He's genuine. He's having fun in there, and he's a fucking problem. But UFC 285 rumored to have over 1 million pay-per-view buys. Let's see if we got any more intel on that. How many pay-per-views did UFC 285 sell? Unveils, total pay-per-view buys. I don't know if I could believe Ali. No, no disrespect, Ali. I just, I know you're going to always say the best of the best. Let's see. The event attracted almost 1 million pay-per-view buys. That's Conor McGregor numbers. I'm not surprised. I bought the gosh darn thing. You should have bought the gosh darn thing. Uh, but what a card. What a weekend. And uh, we have a good fight night card. We're going to break down. And then UFC 286, Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman. The month of March is chaos. We got college basketball tournaments. I'm a big snowboarding guy. You have the natural selection. The WBC's going on. Your boy is hyped. Well, we have UFC Vegas, not Fight Night Vegas something. This at the Virgin Hotel is a little bit different. No Apex. I'm all for it. A little bit early of a card. The prelims, 1 p.m. Pacific. Main card, 3 p.m. Pacific. All on ESPN+. Plus. No TV. There's a lot of sports they're competing with. And some good fights we will not break down. We have Cedricus Dumas uh, making his debut, a Dana White Contender Series alum against Josh Fremd. Uh, and then we have another Contender Series alum, Anton Turkolj on the main card taking on Vitor Petrino. Definitely worth tuning into those fights. 
But we're starting in the prelims. We got Tyson Nam, the 39-year-old fighter with a 21-12-1 record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Bruno Blindado Silva, the 33-year-old fighter with a 12-5-2 record. I think this is a fun fight. Tyson has looked very good of late. It's, it's crazy to think he's 39 years old. And Bruno's in his prime. He's 33. He's new to the UFC. He has an opportunity to find himself in the top 15 and right in the mix of the flyweight division. What else can you ask for? Well, Tyson is, a, is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 1-1 one one since 2020. 13 of his 21 wins are via knockout. He is a king of the cage, elite XC, and a World Series of Fighting alum. And he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Bruno has a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter Brazil and M1 alum, also an M1 former champion. He's on a two-fight losing streak and is 3-2 and two in the UFC. 19 of his 22 wins are via knockout. That's insane for a small guy. And six of his eight losses are via submission. So clearly he doesn't like to be on the mat. Although he's a black belt. Now, Nam is so experienced, and I, I really do think he's a great striker. I'm sure he's going to look to just let Bruno come at him, find his counter strikes, and maybe even put this to the canvas, as he's obviously been shown to be susceptible to submission. Maybe tire the younger Bruno out, try to avoid a knockout, not put yourself in danger. But Bruno has some serious power for a flyweight. I just don't see Tyson walking into that danger and making this a firefight at 39 years old. What do I know? I've seen Nam do it before, but I'm putting my... Let's see what the odds are here. I think he's an underdog. UFC Vegas odds. Let me confirm before I call my shot here. Plus 142. I love it. I'm putting my money on the dog. We're feeding the dogs this weekend. I'm taking Tyson Nam. We're putting them on our parlay. We marking that dish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Victor Lamangosta Henry. The 35-year-old fighter with a 22-6 record. Taking on Tony Gravely. The 31-year-old fighter with a 23-8 record. Now, this fight, we get two men in their primes. They've had success, but I think the time is now, especially for, for Victor, 35 years old. A need for a win is, is so important for these guys, especially if you want to make some money, which these guys don't make enough, and, they're, and have your hard work pay off. I mean, Tony's come from wrestling. He's been in this his whole life. Victor went overseas and put a lot of his life into this. If you really want it, the time is now. Now, Victor's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He is a risen and king of the cage alum. Meanwhile, Tony trains out of ATT with some dogs. America top team. He has a black belt in Taekwondo, a purple belt in BJJ, a D1 wrestling background at Appalachian State University. Go Grizz. Uh, that's not the Grizz. I'm just a Montana alum and fuck Appalachian State. Just kidding. Uh, he's a king of the cage alum. Former champion for King of the Cage, Dana White Contender Series, Cage Fury, Ring of Combat, and LFA alum. I'm telling you, he's been grinding. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but is 2-1 since the start of last year. 
10 of his 23 wins are via knockout, and five of his eight losses are via submission. Now, Tony definitely has a ton of experience around the world of martial arts. I think now that he's just entering his prime and being in the UFC, we're going to see a lot from him. He did lose to a very good Javid Basharat. Javid's fucking talented, though. I think uh, either way, Tony's more well-rounded than Henry. And I wasn't very impressed with Henry in his last performance. I, re I really wasn't. I don't know how that's going to change. You look at his background, you'd think he could do all right in the UFC. But I think Tony's ready to eat. Little wrestling alum love. I'm taking Tony. I think he finds a way to win via decision. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Ariane, the queen of violence, Lipsky. 29-year-old fighter with a 14-8 record, taking on J.J. Aldrich. 30 years old with an 11-5 record. Now, this is another tough test for Lipsky. I think this is really an opportunity for J.J. to get back on track. You know, she's fought a lot of women in the division and a lot of very high-quality fighters. Now, Ariane, she has a Muay Thai background. She trains out of America Top Team. She does have a purple belt in BJJ and a black belt in Muay Thai. Well-versed. She's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 and two since 2020. Six of her 14 wins are via knockout. Very impressive. But four of her eight losses are via knockout. She gets a little savage in there. She's the queen of violence. She's all for it. Give the people what they want. Now, JJ trains out of Elevation Fight Team. She has a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo, a brown belt in BJJ. She is an Evicta and Ultimate Fighter alum, and she is on a one-fight losing streak, but she is 3-1 and one since 2020, and that loss was against the stud Aaron Blanchfield. That's just wrecking house. For me, looking at this, I mean, I love JJ. She's been anywhere and everywhere on the canvas. If she gets too sloppy, gets too aggressive... This is going to be a slugfest. Her and the Queen of Violence are about to get down. But if she stays patient, finds her spots, she should get the win in classic JJ style. Make it ugly, kill her with volume, push the pace, and control the octagon. For that reason, I'm taking JJ. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Looking at the odds here, I haven't looked at them. So JJ's minus 310. And uh, Tony Gravely is a dog as well. We're getting the dogs. Let's go. <laughs> Moving on. We got Mario Batista. Oh, my gosh. He's minus 900. Definitely not putting him on a parlay. The 29-year-old fighter with an 11-2 record taking on Guido Ninja Canetti. 43-year-old fighter with a 10-7 record. Now, Mario, you know, he, he's a local Phoenix guy here at the MMA lab, been training with Sean O'Malley and, and a bunch of those stud bantamweights, Kyler Phillips, um, you know, maybe a little bit of Bryce Mitchell now. He has really impressed me of late. I think he should be fighting stiffer competition than this, and I think he's really going to show out. Now, Guido has some quality wins. Uh, in 2022, after a rough stretch, you know, he's beaten some high-quality guys. He's obviously going to look at, to keep it going in his 40s, when we break it down, again, Mario trains out of the MMA lab. 
He's on a three-fight winning streak. Five of his 11 wins are via submission, and he is an LFA alum. Guido has a Muay Thai background. He trains at a Team Alpha Male. He's an Ultimate Fighter Latin America alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak, both of them in 2022. Four of his 10 wins are via knockout, four via submission. So eight of his 10 fights, uh, 10 wins are via finish. And four of his six losses are via submission. Like, that's kind of interesting, right? Well, I think Mario gets another quick finish. He's going to be on his way to the stiff part of the very deep and good bantamweight division. And I expect some good striking to open up a takedown, maybe for him to get a submission even round two, probably. I would expect him to get the submission in the rounds. Um, I'm picking Mario, but at those odds, minus 900. Can't really make any money there, so I'll keep it out of, the, out of a parlay. And then headlining the prelim card, we have two wily veterans of the UFC. We have Rafael Asuncao, 40-year-old fighter with a 28-9 record, taking on Davey Dangerous Grant. 37-year-old fighter with a 14-6 and record. And this is a very, very interesting fight of two longtime UFC veterans who have fought pretty much everyone in the division. Now, Rafael has a Muay Thai, BJJ, and Shotokan background. He's a Southpaw fighter with a black belt in BJJ. He did come from the WEC when they merged with the UFC. He's on a one-fight winning streak after a four-fight skid. He has the most decision bouts in UFC bantamweight division history with 11 and the most decision wins with nine. He's tied for the second longest winning streak in the UFC bantamweight division history with seven. That was obviously a past winning streak. He's been a problem. And Davey has a purple belt in BJJ. He, uh, Grant was an ultimate fighter alum. He's on a one fight winning streak. Four of his last fights, this, this shocked me, have either been fight of the night or performance of the night. He just comes to fucking show up. And he does have a two and a half inch uh, reach and leg reach advantage. You know, the, the odds on this one, I think probably speak what I'm thinking. Let's see what the odds are. We don't have this. Oh, no. They have Rafael Sunsau plus 124. Davy Grant minus 160. Point being, it's a fight, a tough fight to pick. I do think Raphael at his peak was a better fighter. He, you know, in his last fight, it was really cool to see because he admitted to like losing his flame and spark that kept him going. He was really emotional after getting a win, which after a four fight losing streak, you lose another, you're probably done, right? Um, and he said he's got it back. He's been training with a new team. He, he really feels confident. And um, I think we're going to see it in this, sh- in this fight against Henry. I'm taking Raphael. Uh, not against Henry, excuse me, in this performance against Davey. Davey's tough. He's a sneakingly good. He's got quick hands. He's durable. He, he could do the whole thing. I do like Raphael. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth affair. I think it does go to decision. I think a Sun Sal finds a way to get the get the job done. I'm taking another dog. We're making some money this weekend. The dogs are out to eat. I'm taking a Sun Sal. We market him on that parlay, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main card. We got Saeed Nurmagomedov, 30 years old, with a 17-2 record, and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Jonathan Dragon Martinez, the 28-year-old fighter with a 17-4 record. 
I honestly think to start the main card, whoo-wee, this might be the most intriguing fight on the card. Both men just re- reaching their peak, really coming into their own. Honestly, I probably think Saeed has fought stiffer competition, but Jonathan's a fucking good striker, and his, you know, I say a lot of the time, like, they're improving every fight. Jonathan, from outing to outing, almost looks like a different fighter. He, he, he's a real student of the game. And I think it's going to be interesting if Saeed looks to turn this into a wrestling match because of the striking. And uh, Jonathan's gone through some adversity. He was part of the James Krause gym, all that shit that went down. He's had to find a new camp. We'll, we'll see if that, uh, you know, partakes anything uh, of the results here. Uh, but Saeed, as a typical combat sambo guy, international master of sport and amateur MMA, he's on a four-fight winning streak and is 6-1 and one in the UFC. I would debate him and Usman are pretty damn close to skill level. Um, I would almost debate that Saeed's better than Usman, and Usman's a champion at Bellator. Obviously better than Abu Bakar. Um, but Saeed's tough, man. He, he's very skilled. Jonathan, he is a blue belt in BJJ. He's a legacy FC alum. He's on a four-fight winning streak, and eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. He even recently went up to Featherweight to try that out back at Bantamweight. If we could just take a moment and make this a fucking thought of this only being a kickboxing fight, that would be unheard of. This would be undoubtedly fight of the night. Multiple guys getting rocked. Crazy finishes, probably. Because Saeed has some nasty front kicks and some very good high kicks. And Martinez has shown just the power behind his kicks. Every time he kicks, it sounds fucking brutal. Uh, so if, if if this doesn't go to wrestling, you better watch out. Don't blink. Um, but I do think Saeed, again, is more experienced, more well-rounded. Martinez could really boost his stock here with the win. But I'm taking a Nurmagomedov. I'm putting Saeed on my parlay. Let's double-check the odds. It can't be that bad. Yeah. Minus 215. We're putting him on our parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. I'm feeling good about a parlay this weekend. A couple of them. Little underdog parlay with those guys. Ooh, oh no. I was going to say, I got another one. And then, um, originally looking at this card, I'm like, why is this place here in the main card? But it does make sense. We have Ricardo Ramos, 27-year-old fighter, with a 16-4 and record, taking on Austin Lights Out Lingo, 28 years old with a 9-1 and record. Now, I do think this fight is that high up on the main card because of the stylistic matchup. Grab your popcorn, strap in, grab a brewski. We're going to get two men who are improving daily at their craft, scratching the surface, and wanting to make a real move in the featherweight division. 27 Ramos, Austin 28. And uh, they, 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 de- they definitely have shown out in their last fights. So, so we're going to get a good one, and, and that's why it's this high up on the main card. Now, Ricardo trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He's a legacy FC and elite FC alum. He was an elite FC former champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Seven of his 16 wins are via submission, and two of his four losses are via knockout. Now, Austin trains out of Fortis MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He has a black belt in Taekwondo. He's an LFA alum, and he's on a two-fight winning streak. Now, Ricardo definitely has somewhat of a wild style. 
He comes at you from everywhere. Austin's going to come right at you with a ton of volume as well. And I think whoever's got the better cardio and gas tank here is going to have the advantage. I've seen more of Ricardo. He's been in some wars. I've seen him battle adversity. For that reason, I'm taking him to win via decision. This is going to be a fun one, though. I'm putting Ramos on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And then because of a postponement from Ryan being sick, I'm guessing COVID, we get the long-awaited heavyweight matchup of Nikita the Minor Krylov, 30-year-old fighter with a 29-9 and record and the number six next to his name, taking on Ryan Superman Span, 31 years old with a 21-7 and record and the number eight next to his name. I'm just getting thrown off because... I'm looking for the odds on this, but they don't have it. This is on the card, right? Fucking website. You never know. UFC website, man. I, it just drives me nuts. They have them on the UFC website. Let's double check. Sure, dog. Oh, let's see what the odds are on the UFC real quick. So on the UFC website, they have Nikita minus 170. Uh-oh. Your boy's going to look real stupid, or he's going to look real fucking good after this weekend. And then Sure Dog has this fight listed. Yeah, so it is this weekend. Got a little worried there. So here we go. Some legit fucking competition in the heavyweight division. Both men trying to earn their title shot honors in their primes. Nikita 30, Span 31. And definitely two different style of fighters here. You got the grinder. The miner, he gets his hands dirty. He 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 puts his weight on you. He puts you up against the cage. He takes you down. He he puts you in dirty boxing situations. And you got a true sleeper in Superman. His hands touch you. You're going night night. Now Nikita is a master of sport in Kaiushin, army hand to hand combat and submission fighting. He's on a two fight winning streak and was very active in 2022. He was two and one. 12 of his 19 wins are via knockout, 15 via submission, so 27 of his 29 wins are via finish. Six of his nine losses are via submission. Ryan trains out of Fortis MMA. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series two-time alum, an LFA alum and former champion, and a Legacy FC alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak, both of them in 2022, and 12 of his 21 wins are via submission. Now, I think Superman is just realizing how good he is. He's really taking a step to improve his game. Nikita's that savvy veteran that's going to find a way to get you in spots that you don't want to be in. That's really his game, and he's going to outwork you. I just think Superman overpowers him here, puts himself in a position to get a finish, whether submission or knockout. Uh, But this is a great fight. This is a really awesome fight. It makes this card that much better. But your boy's putting money on the dog. We're taking Ryan. We're taking Superman. We're putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we making the bread. The dogs are out to eat. (laughs) Now moving on. We have Alexander Drago Volkov. (coughs) Making myself cough over here. The 34-year-old fighter with a 35-10 and 10 record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Alexander King Kong Rachmanov. 
Romanov, not Rachmanov. Um, I just want to see the odds on this real quick. I closed the window like an idiot. I know. Blah, blah. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, 32-year-old fighter with a 16-1 and record and the number 13 next to his name. And really, to me, this is a guy who's really unknown. Not really unknown, but definitely a wild card versus... We know what Volkov is, right? He's been here. He's done that. I can't believe he's only 34 years old. He's got 35 wins, 45 fucking professional fights. And Rachmanov, 16-1, just suffered his first loss. And it wasn't pretty. Um, I think this is the biggest test for Romanov. Um, he's in his prime. This is a huge moment for him, fighting the number eight-ranked fighter. And it's weird that he even got this matchup because he just lost to uh, Tibera. And now he gets an even you know, more talented and savvy veteran in Volkov. So obviously the UFC thinks highly of him. Alexander has a black belt in Su Shin Jen. He's a brown belt in Kaiu Shin Karate. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator and M1 alum, former champion at both. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 1-1 one one in 2022. 23 of his 35 wins are via knockout. And as per usual, he has a five-inch reach advantage and a four-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. Romanov has a wrestling background. He's an Eagles FC alum and former champion. Six of his 16 wins are via knockout, nine of them via submission. So 15 of his 16 wins are via finish. He's a finisher. King Kong, yo ass. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 5-1 and one in the UFC. Now, Again, Romanov didn't look like the dominant heavyweight we expected in his last fight. I don't think he's going to be able to stand and strike with Volkov, especially with that length and, and, and the textbook experience that Volkov has. I think he's going to go deep into that wrestling well, find an ugly path to victory, keep the fucking train rolling. And again, I'm surprised he's getting this fight. I, I really don't know. I kind of want to pick Volkov. It just doesn't feel right. I, as much as I love Volkov, he's susceptible to a guy like this. And for that reason, I'm taking Romanov, but I am not putting it on the parlay. I could see a way where fucking Volkov chips at Ro Romanov's legs, finds an opening, even gets a knockout finish, or just wins because he knows to how, how to outpoint him. But I would assume King Kong got woken up after that loss. He wasn't happy with it. He went back. He's had it since August to get his shit together, and he's going to come out doing whatever he can for the victory, and that's why I'm taking the younger Romanov. Then the main event, the bantamweight division showing out. We get Pewter No Mercy Jan, the 30-year-old fighter with a 16-2 record, and the number two, I think I said 16-2, and 16-4 record with the number two next to his name, taking on Marab the Machine Dwalishwili, 32 years old, with a 15-4 and four record and the number three next to his name. Now, this one's definitely a clash of styles, much like the, the heavyweight fight prior. Um, due to the wrestling, I mean, Marab's going to have a chance to beat Jan. If he beats Jan, he's going to get a chance at the title shot. I'm sure we will get Marab relentlessly looking for a takedown, as the Deshwili typically does. The machine... But Pewter's shown that he has some pretty solid grappling. Um, maybe he does get taken down, but what he's really good at is getting back up. He's hard to be you know, stuck down there. He keeps moving. He finds a way up. 
I do believe pewter striking is much better than uh, Marab's. After a few losses, I think No Mercy is going to show his nickname. He is going to not give any mercy. He's going to be hungrier than ever. He's only fucking 30. He's just out in his prime. You can always see he's training. He really wants this. This is going to be a fun fucking fight. Now, Pewter trains out of ATT and Tiger Muay Thai. Fucking savage. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Is 1-3 and three since 2021. And two of his last three fights have been fight of the night because Pewter Jan is box office. Now, Murab trains out of the Sierra Longo fight team. He has a black belt in judo. He's got a silver in the Men's World Combat Sambo Championships. He is a ring uh, combat former champion and alum. And he's also a cage fairy alum. He is on an eight-fight winning streak. Very, very tough. He is 8-2 in the UFC. Although he's on an impressive eight-fight winning streak, he fought guys like Marlon Marias and Jose Aldo recently that are definitely past their heydays, right? I think Pewter's championship material, I think he's going to remind the world of that this weekend. I think that we do see a mix of takedowns. I think Pewter just outlasts Marab in a five-round affair, maybe even gets a TKO finish. I'm taking the Russian assassin. I'm putting Pewter on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we're getting that bread. What a card. The dogs are coming. You heard it here. And next week, UFC 286 in London. In the O2. Leon Edwards, Kamaro Usman 3. The Nigerian Nightmare is coming. And it's an afternoon card because of the time zone difference. 1 p.m. Pacific main card start. Fight fans, let's rejoice. March Madness basketball fighting. It don't matter. It's about to go down. Can't wait to break it down. See how those dogs do and preview 286 next week. See y'all next week. And rebranding coming soon, I promise. Details coming.